Greetings, God's beloved. Thanks for tuning in to the Reformation Lutheran Church Sermon Podcast. Our reading today comes from Acts, beginning in chapter 6, going through chapter 7, verses 44 through 60. Thanks for listening. May you be blessed this day. A reading from Acts, beginning in chapter 6. Glory to you, O Lord. Now, during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among them. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia stood up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against God. And Moses. And they stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes. And they suddenly confronted him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never stops saying things against this holy place and the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at him, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked him, Are these things so? And Stephen replied, Brothers, fathers, listen to me. Our ancestors had the tent of testimony in the wilderness, as God directed when he spoke to Moses, ordering him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our ancestors in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our ancestors. And it was there until the time of David who found favor with God and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the house of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made with human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, And now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels. 
and you've not kept it. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. The word of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. I missed you last week. I was on vacation and uh, glad everything went smoothly. Right? Right? We heard last week, though, how the resurrected one met two on the road to Emmaus and was revealed to them in the breaking of the bread, right? And from there, he went to meet his friends as he said he would, and he opened their minds to the scriptures, called them to be witnesses, and finally ascended to be with the Father in heaven. From the tomb and the temple to the community to the kitchen table, we move into the next part of Luke's orderly account of the good news, of the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus, to the next chapter, the formation of the early church, the gospel for all the nations. This is the sequel. The book of Acts tells us what happened next as the apostles received the Holy Spirit and took up the mission of the church in the world. The Spirit of God fell on faithful Jews from all over the world at Pentecost and thousands of them were baptized and became believers. We're going to get back to that story in just a few weeks. So we've skipped over some things, but now we're in the middle of it, and things get more difficult. There are divisions and conflicts arise. Many of you remember and have shared the stories, and if you drive through small towns in the Midwest, you can still see this happening. Tell me if I'm wrong, Helen. Lutheran churches across the street from each other, on different corners, who trace their histories to different waves of immigration. There was a German church and a Norwegian church or a Swedish church or a Danish church, maybe even an Icelandic church. Wow, we're getting diverse now. They didn't always get along, as you could imagine. And each one chose to worship in their own language for a time and serve their own communities. But as the generations passed, some combined. They found the divisions, though, still existed in the families that worshiped there. And this at times might have made serving their neighbors more difficult. Well, that same type of conflict, it was already in the early church. So before, long before Paul wrote about there no longer being Jew nor Greek, there was a collision of cultures. And the local Jewish community spoke for the most part Aramaic and Hebrew. Well, throughout the empire, many spoke the Greek language, even though they were faithful Jews too. 
And as they emigrated into Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, these ones known as Hellenists found that some of their widows were not being served. And this inequality led to conflict. And the issue was brought to the 12 apostles. You've got to do something about this, Pastor. Come on. Lutherans know that we believe in all the, the priesthood of all the believers. We've all got something to do, a way to serve, vocations, a ministry to participate in. Pastors can't do it all themselves, right? Nor should we. This was the beginning of the use of deacons in the church. And seven were appointed to take care of the needs of the community. While we're told the apostles focused on the word of God. Okay, and in case you didn't know it, we do have deacons in our church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America today. And these men and women are ordained for the ministry of word and service, just as our pastors are ordained, ordained for word and sacrament in our church. And these deacons, they might work with food pantries. They might work with uh, schools or synods community outreach to serve in lots of different ways. And many also participate in preaching in local congregations. We know that the needs in all our communities are great and all the baptized, all of us have something to do. Any way that we use those gifts of God, every member of the body of Christ is valued and gifted to serve. So put yourself in the story. These seven immigrant men are appointed as deacons, and among them is Stephen, who is a standout in his class. This guy speaks well. He's, he's doing great deeds and works of power and grace, and he serves, but he also speaks like a prophet. And they accuse him of speaking against God in the temple. So he pulls a Jeremiah on the people, which is dangerous. He's accusing them of resisting the new things that God is doing among them. He reminds them of the way that people have always turned away from God. Have turned, they turned away from Moses. They worshiped the golden calf. How they failed to recognize how God was at work. And he seems to speak out against their idolization of buildings. Huh. Imagine that. Yeah. Reminding them of God's presence in the tent and tabernacle. He says, it's not about the building. God was with you everywhere you went. And he even uses the words of Moses to drive the point home. You stiff-necked people. They resisted the movement of the Spirit among them. They've resisted the power of God that was moving them outward, resisting the words of Christ and the voices of the prophets before them, and he calls them to account. When you speak like a prophet, you might die like a prophet. The people are enraged and they engage in, yes, a lynching, an execution. It wasn't sanctioned by any of the rulers, any official body, but we hear someone named Saul mentioned as the one who approves. And when the moment came, Stephen gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen takes a knee to die. His focus not on the ones who are doing the thing to him, persecuting him, but on the face of God. And his words echo those of Jesus, who forgives those who persecuted him. He becomes one of the first martyrs of the church. And the story spreads. 
we know, we've experienced it in our lives, that change generates opposition. Change generates opposition. We hear it throughout the Bible. Every time God does something, every time God moves forward, people resist it. Maybe that's just our human nature to push back against what is new or regress to what we know and seek comfort. Because we know also what it's like to miss being in a church building, to regress, to miss doing things the way we used to do them, to miss the America of our memories and what always seemed like a simpler time. Words of modern day prophets make us angry sometimes too. And we can name ways in just the last few months that we've seen people lash out against individuals and institutions that we've relied on for so long. We're here now. Our nation is struggling through conflict. In a week, this just a week that has included the ongoing trial of a Minneapolis police officer for the murder of George Floyd, the killing of Dante Wright, another black man just 10 miles away, communal outrage in Chicago over the killing of 13-year-old Adam Toledo, the pepper spraying of a uniformed active duty soldier by police in Virginia, along with more gun violence, more mass shooting events, including just days ago at a FedEx facility in Indianapolis. We cannot help but wonder how our nation, how our society, how our our culture will find its way through this epidemic of violence. Because we long to find solutions. We want to know what are we supposed to do? We want to make peace even before communities have time to properly grieve a loss. How are followers of Jesus to give witness? How can we acknowledge the pain of our siblings of color and love all our neighbors now? And where is God in this pain? And what does justice look like? We're struggling with all these questions and we want to just push back and say, you know what, let's just go back to the way it was. It was easier. Was it? No, maybe not. They're difficult questions to answer, but at the very least, we can hold space for those who grieve and the righteous anger that seeks an end to suffering. For these first followers of Jesus, the crucifixion was a crisis. Their expectations had not been met. Their anticipated outcomes were unrealized. And they were trying to make sense of it all, too. Maybe maybe their initial vision was too small. God's mission was much larger, much wider than they could know. And now the Spirit had shown up. And this power of the Holy Spirit was moving and things were changing fast. Now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were being led in a new way for new reasons to new people and places. So they did what we all might do. They resisted. And they squabbled over how to move forward and what to believe and who was welcome and how to serve best. Has anything changed? Winston Churchill is remembered to have said, one should never let a good crisis go to waste. Mark Granquist of Luther Seminary writes that after momentous events, people simply want things to go back to the way they were before. They want things to go back to normal, whatever that is. 
And here is where a dangerous clash is possible between those who wish to use the crisis as the means of a significant change and those who want things to go back to normal. Have we seen that this year, last year? Many years we've seen this, right? Because we've been through crisis after crisis in our times, in our lifetimes. And they are global. Wars, pandemics, mass migrations. They are local. Disease, attacks on the capital, natural disasters, gun violence. They are personal. Divorce, death, and disease. How we move forward depends on our resistance to change and the voices that cry out for it, our resistance to taking account of our own actions and the blessings and gifts we have been given, and our resistance to God's healing offered through word and sacrament, word and service. God is and always has been about transformation. We call it repentance. And humanity and the world is always inclined to resist it. John the Baptist knew it. They knew it long before him too. God overcomes the resistance though. This resistance in our own hearts, the resistance in the world, not with power, but with love. Not with domination, but with grace not with might, but with mercy. And we are witnesses to new things that God is doing. By the Spirit, when we repent, we return and reset and are renewed in Christ, who died and rose for us, who sends us power from God, who welcomes us, even though we push back and fight and continue to turn away. We confess each time we gather that we fail to do what was required what the prophets taught, what the voice of Jesus commanded us to do, to love God and love one another, to feed his sheep, to make disciples, to proclaim forgiveness to all the nations. But we've been through so many crises of our own, and with each one we step further away. We push back. But in God's power, by God's spirit, we're pulled closer to that source of divine love and get to see the glory of his resurrection, this good news. And in this season of Easter, just as we long for this coming of the Holy Spirit again and tell the story of God's love and forgiveness and mercy for all, we get to welcome these new faces and go to new places and welcome those whom Christ has welcomed to be changed ourselves for the kingdom, to be transformed. And we get to get up and go and care for the sick and blind and widowed and homeless and eat with addicts and adulterers and sing with siblings of every race and color and gender and sexual orientation and know that we are one in Christ Jesus. We are loved. We all belong and have all been blessed by this risen Jesus because we're not here for ourselves. Like Stephen, we've been called and sent and transformed through this spirit and not afraid to be the witnesses God has called us to be. We know there's nothing holding us back from speaking and serving 
and sharing this word of new life, not being persecuted, not death itself, not the derision of our friends and neighbors. We have good news to share no matter what. So we share this new word of life, this freedom, this release with all we encounter on our journeys. But it's not, by what we, it's not what we do by our own power, right? This is God's work. We are created and made to love and live for God and our neighbors. We're forgiven and freed in Christ Jesus. We are transformed by the Spirit that is doing the work in us and on us and around us. Our vocation, our identity as baptized children of God is our calling card to the world. This body of Christ goes to the world to speak what it has heard. And by the Spirit, we believe in the one God has sent, our form to be faithful and faithfully discern how God is leading us in these days and times. And we hear the word speaking and we catch that wind of the Spirit that blows right here at Reformation Lutheran Church. We are sent into the streets to places and spaces where God already is and find ourselves empowered to overcome our own resistance and any resistance we encounter and give bodily witness to follow in the path of Jesus, our resurrected Savior, who is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.